Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli. Today is the first week of 2019. And so what we want to do is we want to look at 2019 and see where we're going. But first, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at 2018 and just give it a quick recap, year in review, if you will. In order to do that, I want to bring on someone who was on our show here just recently, and that's one of my favorite people, Aaron Chapman. He is a 21-year veteran in the mortgage lending space. He's a super sharp guy and really smart. I rely on him almost like a mentor because he teaches me things about the mortgage market and the way the industry is working and how it's going to affect me as an investor and the people that we work with as our client investors. So he's got a pretty big team of 11 people. So he really knows what he's doing and he's really helpful. But today I wanted to bring him on to help us understand what has happened and what is going on in the mortgage lending industry and how that's going to affect us and what we should be doing in terms of investing. So with that, Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Good to be on again. It's great to have you back on. It's the new year. I'm kind of reviewing my goals and I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to be looking at this year in terms of investments? Is it all going to be real estate? Where am I going to be investing? What are mortgage rates doing? Is it even going to impact me? And I know you have an answer to that question because we talked about that last time. But why don't we start by talking about 2018? If you were to kind of recap what happened last year at a macro level in terms of mortgage financing and how that applies to investing, how would you summarize 2018? I'd say that we got more settled into the financing of the real estate investor better than we had at any other time since the crash. And it was a matter of those people who want to invest, that wanted to get involved in it, that wanted to use the regular conforming financing. We were able to find those investors and those banks and those other pools of funds that were more amiable to the real estate investment financing. Because it used to be they were fighting with us all the time, having to prove that it wasn't as risky a deal. I can't say that they bought into it being lower risk than the owner-occupied. I think there's still a lot of that out there, but it doesn't change the fact that we are able to do more, right? So we're continuing to see really high volume. And what's interesting is the volume of transactions globally, as far as real estate uh, finance, has dropped like 40 plus percent. We're seeing across the board, big, big declines in applications taken, the amount of loans that are closed, but real estate investment has continued to climb. We've seen 116% gain to what I've seen in my own personal business. That's inside a business that has shrunk nationally as far as just lending in general. The other thing that I summarize is we've seen rates take a direction that was completely opposite of what people have been used to for the last decade. They've been used to rates going down or rates uh, staying at a very, very, very low point, extremely low point. And then all of a sudden, we get a quantitative tightening introduced at the end of 2017. And then actually just overtook the mortgage market in 2018 to the extent now that we've seen you know, interest rates that were traditionally for a real estate investor down in the fours go up into the mid sixes and then recede back. So that right there was getting the real estate investor good with the fact that rates are not 4% anymore, or in the, at least in the mid fours. That took a transition. But once they understood the tax deductibility of, real, of the rate a little bit better because now they had to wrap their head around it. Is easy to cash flow very well before, no matter what deal you picked up, right? Well, now you get to a point where you have to be a little bit more discerning. You have to have a little bit more time into the research. 
And also interesting enough, the real estate investor has more time in the research that they didn't have before because before it was a frenzy. Property popped up on the market. Somebody just bought it because they didn't care. The, right. in, the interest rates were so low that it allowed for some padding in mistakes. Mistakes are not so easily made now that you're not going to pay for if you're not taking a little bit more time to analyze the property. So that we've seen happen too. A little bit of sharpening of a person's skills when it comes to analyzation of the property. No more just jump in and grab it and hope for the best. It is as one where it's tactical. So I had you on about a month ago, I think it was early December, and we were talking about what was going on in terms of the mortgage market and how things were changing. But I guess there's been more change in the last month or so. What has changed since we last recorded? Well, the biggest change was the direction of the interest rates and mainly the flow of money into the mortgage-backed securities versus stocks. Now, mortgage-backed securities is basically it's a bond. It's a pool of money that's been set aside to be able to use for 30 years. That money gets put to use by somebody buying some real estate, financing it with that property. Now, the rate of return is set for 30 years or until that particular note is paid off. So it's like any other kind of bond. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and share another a screen here like we did before. And for those who are doing the audio, unfortunately, you're going to have to somehow accept my explanation of what Marco and I are looking at. So what we see here, can you see this, uh, this chart here, Marco? Yep, we're good. Okay, so this is the mortgage-backed securities chart that shows the Fannie Mae 4% coupon is what this is. And it's what we looked at before. This covers all the way back, I believe this goes back to January 8th of 2016. That's how far back this goes. We talked about before where you can see where my cursor is back on in November 2016, the big drop that happened when we had the election. Then we get over to January 2018 when the Fed instituted the quantitative tightening, which is the Federal Reserve putting in less money into the mortgage-backed securities. Now, where we talked last was down in here, where everything was bottoming out. And we were talking about potentially, if the analysts are correct in their thoughts with where the market's going to go going into 2019, or at least end of the year 2018, that we would get back some of the ground that we lost in the mortgage-backed securities, meaning they sold off those positions, bringing it to a lower value, therefore interest rates going up. As you can see, since then, half of that has been gained back from what we've, not quite half. We talked about getting half of it back. That's going to be up in here somewhere. So we're going to see, hopefully, that continue to go and gain ground till we get back half of what we lost from when Jerome Powell had announced that they were doing the quantitative tightening. So for those people that are not looking at this chart, basically what happened is this chart bottomed at the beginning of November, and it bounced back rapidly since then. And just tell us what the implications of this are to a real estate investor. Why would I care? What does this mean to me? Well, this dictates the flow of money into these pools. As the pools increase, as we're seeing it going up, that means there's an increase in available funds. Therefore, interest rates are declining. Supply and demand, just like any other type of instrument or really economics 101. Greater the supply, the lower the demand, the lower the price. The higher the demand, the lower the supply, the greater the price. So in this world, the price is rate. That's what the end result is, is based upon that supply or demand. Since the supply is gaining ground, since we are getting more and more supply in there, more investors buying into that pool, because evidently they're leaving stock. As we can see, stocks have been taking quite the hit since back in September. We've seen September 28th starting a run on a decline in stock that has been, I wouldn't say unprecedented, but it's been pretty heavy duty to the extent that that money has had to go somewhere and it's flown into the mortgage-backed securities 
therefore forcing our interest rates down. The real big, big deal to this, what I find to be the most interesting piece of that is what brought the rates down to begin with was the quantitative easing, right? And so I don't know if you can see me switching this screen, but this shows the purchases that the Fed has made into the mortgage-backed securities over the last however many years. And double-digit billions all the time. Yeah, you're seeing double, and this is for a two-week window, right? And it's a two-week window at a time, yeah. And some of these, actually, some of these are showing a month window. I think it's a different screen than what I was looking for. So you're seeing 5.8 billion, 12 billion, 24 billion, 26 billion. That was the Fed injecting money into this pool, basically increasing the supply. The higher the supply, the lower the price, right? So because the Fed dumping in tens of billions of dollars at a shot, that supply was forcing the rate low. Well, then we get to 2017 or the end of 2017, like we were discussing in the last podcast, where they introduced quantitative tightening. That quantitative tightening then started shrinking the supply because you know, the Fed was not putting in billions. In fact, we see right here uh, in January from just in one month time, from December 14th to January 14th, the plan was $300 million. What is the difference between $300 million and $20 billion? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hell of a lot. So since that shrunk, and that was since the market took on some gains, you know, the mortgage-backed securities market we just showed the other chart was taking a lot of gains. Well, the Federal Reserve was putting in a lot less than they were previously, especially last year. So what that's telling me is the market is putting more money in there. The market's having more of a, a say in what direction the rates are going because people are feeling more secure in the mortgage-backed securities than they had in the past. Now, of course, there was a lot of sell-off. There's a lot of jump out from last year because the thing, hey, if the Fed's not there to help us out and subsidize it, we need to put our money elsewhere because it may not be as valuable. Now that they're realizing, and this is my interpretation of it, that this may be the best place for us to go. When we think about it, you know, it used to be called the cleanest dirty shirt in the laundry when you're thinking of all the different places to put your money, whether it be stocks, bonds, commodities, precious metals, currency trading, whatever. There's a lot flowing into mortgage-backed securities because it seems more secure than it had been. There's a lot less default than there had been in the past. And so to me, this was a big deal to see that the Fed is putting in so much less than they have in the last, since quantitative easing started back in 2009. And now it's now gaining ground from where it bottomed out at, and it's all going off of private capital mostly. There's a little bit from the Fed, but not much. My friend MC Lobsher, the host of Cashflow Ninja podcast and president of Producers Wealth, is on a mission to help you achieve financial independence as soon as possible. He achieves this by integrating the infinite banking concept and real estate investing to increase your financial efficiency and recapture cash flow that you're not even aware you're losing. MC shares the number one strategy investors use in his holistic wealth creation course at yourownbankingsystem.com. That's yourownbankingsystem.com. So let me dumb this down. Let's just bring it down to the street level. And I'm going to ask the question that probably a lot of people are asking, and that is, what does this mean to me? What does all that mean to the average Joe real estate investor? Well, what I would personally think, what it means to me, actually, as a real estate investor, is that I think we may have seen, I wouldn't say the worst of the rates, but it may be the worst that we would have to factor into our pro formas for the foreseeable future. So for the 2019 going forward, if we're maintaining this particular direction, we've seen as high as six and three eighths for investors to take on. I think some of them with the lower loan price points and lower credit scores that it took on like a six and a half, and it still worked for their numbers. Just know that that 
that might be our cap. I'm thinking for this year, if this continues to hold this trajectory, that might be our cap. We're going to be seeing those lower sixes, higher fives. And that would uh, give one confidence to keep moving forward into buying into properties or at least going to contract where they're going to have a 90 day or 120 day rehab, sometimes a construction time. Know that the market has seen possibly its worst as far as rates are concerned. Have a little bit more faith going into those longer contracts and not stress so much about what the rate's going to do. Well, that's the thing that real estate investors care about the most, it seems, are interest rates. Most people default to a 30-year fixed rate mortgage. Sometimes people go with the 15. And in certain instances, certain scenarios, people will go with an adjustable rate mortgage. But for the most part, people are looking at the 30-year rate. And they don't like it when it goes up. They love it when it comes down. What are analysts saying about the rates? I mean, I have some answers to this question. I want to hear what you have to say, but let's talk about what analysts are talking about in terms of rates for 2019. Well, the analysts that I subscribe to spend a few dollars every year to make sure I get their information. They're saying we're not done gaining ground on this. We're not done getting seeing rates drop even more. That is the claim. The only risk with thinking that that's coming is people are going to get into the mode where they're trying to time everything, right? They're going to try and time the rate, just like they try and time the market. When is the best time to buy the house? When is the best time to buy the property? I mean, to buy into the, uh, the loans and get it financing done. When's the best time to lock? When's the best time to buy into a certain stock, right? We saw the Bitcoin thing, right? So there's so many different things that we as humans want to be the one who times it perfectly, but only the lucky ignorant ones are the ones who actually seem to time it perfectly because they're not even paying attention and it just seems to work out for them. So the only risk with that and trying to follow what the analysts are saying and the fact that it's going to continue to get better as far as rates are concerned, because we're not done in the stock market taking the beating, according to what they're saying, people may actually bypass some deals, some really good deals, thinking that the rates may get a little bit better, the extra eighth of a percent or that quarter percent, putting them in a position to miss out on an opportunity. Most everything I'm reading has to do with rates rising. In fact, I don't think I've read an article that said that 2019 is going to show us lower rates. From the Bankers Association to Zillow, everybody's saying 30-year mortgage rates are going to continue to rise. And even Zillow's now forecasting that that 30-year rate will finish up around 5.8% in 2019, which is a considerable move. But here's the good news. For real estate investors, for landlords, we're going to see increased demand for rentals because that's just going to price people out of the market. They're just not going to be able to buy homes and they're going to be forced to go into the rental pool and rent. So those higher rates are actually beneficial, even though it might squeeze in some cases our returns, the cap rates and the cash on cash returns we see, it increases that rental demand. And beyond that, beyond mortgage rates, what we're expecting to see is an increase in rents. Again, you said it yourself, supply and demand. When we see that demand increasing, it will start to push up on rental rates. And so if that's a prediction of what's going to happen in 2019, we can expect to see rent rates go up and maybe slower than previous years, especially in terms of price appreciation. I'm not a speculator and I don't advise people speculate on real estate, but hey, I'll take higher rents in lieu of rapidly rising prices any day because I know that over time it all works out and I'll get that equity. So I think it's a good time to be a real estate investor. So what do you think of all these predictions that rates are going to go up measurably in 2019? I don't know that that's incorrect. I'm thinking that when you're talking about the 2019 as a whole, we're probably going to see them increase before 2019 is closed out. The interim, because I'm, I'm listening to these guys analyze it for like a 24 to 48 hour window. 
That's what they're looking at. They're trying to give us a reasonable idea what that's going to look like. And so when they keep talking, hey, it's we're, we're, we're seeing this continue to improve. Well, that is a short-lived thought process that I'm, that I'm listening to on a day-to-day basis. And I've been hearing that every single day since end, uh, early November that we've been saying, hey, that's, we're going to see some continued improvement. And then we get to a point where there's some what they refer to like in any other chart or graph when it comes to securities, they will hit resistance or will hit support. And then we're bouncing off support and plowing through resistance. And we continue to keep climbing. So for the interim, for the next little bit, I'm thinking that we may continue to see some improvement. But overall, an increase in rate to me would be the wisest thing to believe is going to occur. Because again, we don't have that subsidy that the government had put in there. All it takes is some sort of considered reversal in the stock market, and it's going to start sucking money from our bonds. When it starts pulling money from the bonds, it's going to push those stocks back up. And what they always say is what goes up must come down, and what goes down must come up. You know, stock right now is taking a dramatic move to the negative, but it could easily reverse. And it's amazing how that particular world seems to have the greatest amount of seesaw of anything out there because so many people are watching equities. They want to see equities improve. They can't wait to see equities improve. So they will believe any hint of news that would help equities improve. And that's when we start seeing things like what we saw a little while ago, that massive thousand point gain in one day just to lose it all shortly after. Right. Yeah, that was the 26th. So we saw a thousand and some spike in that one day in the Dow, which was a basically a 5% move. And we saw 5% plus moves in the other markets. And in talking to you before we started recording here, it barely put a dent in the mortgage market. At that day, so you're thinking if stocks are going to accept a a thousand point move, the money's got to come from somewhere. So typically we'd see all bonds, treasuries, mortgage-backed securities, whatever, take a beating as a result. I'm going to go ahead and do another share screen here and show you this was the 16th right here. I mean, excuse me, the 26th right there. Look at that movement. It's hardly any negative movement. So it opened up, it says right here at 101.55, it closed at 101.42. That's not a big move. What, 13 points? 13 points is all we saw as far as a negative movement that day compared to the Dow moving 1,000. To me, that's encouraging to think that even though the Dow sucked a lot of money in, it didn't pull people out of bonds. Those who were investing there, they stood, stood their ground thinking, okay, there's a what was referred to as a head fake in stocks, and they didn't feel that it was warranted that they pull their money from here and shove it over into the equities market because they believed, I would imagine, they believed that it was Ill, uh, ill-placed. And as you can see, the very next day, we gained ground. Following day, December 28th, we gained ground. 31st, gain ground. Continue to keep gaining ground. Today, big gains in the mortgage-backed securities pools. So I'm not sure how long that'll last, but even that 1,000 points was not enough to lure people back into the stocks. Right. So as a segue to that, how are you encouraging both new investors as well as seasoned investors going into 2019? Yeah, just continuing to remind that the true value in the acquisition of investment real estate is in the leverage, leveraging it to 80% on a single family and having somebody and buying a property that will stay rented, ensuring that the property you acquire is one that people will want to rent because as long as it stays occupied, that 80% leverage is paid off by that other person. If we look at that like stocks, when we've been talking about this the whole time, if you buy it, put money into a stock and it gains value every year, you feel like you're doing well, right? Even though you're not seeing a single dollar touch your pocket, because it's going up in value, you're feeling you made a good move. You're making money. 
right? It's interesting how people feel that way about stock. But if they're not making cash flow on their property, for some reason, they think they're not doing anything, that it's not making them money. But in reality, the note being paid down, like we've discussed many times, is a gain averaged over 30 years of 13.33% just because they're paying down that 80% note. Per year. Per year, when you average over the 30 years, 13.33% per year is what's being added on top of your original 20%. And then when the fact that we get to outpace inflation, the fact that inflation is eroding the value of the dollar, but you get to raise your rents to pace inflation, but the payment on the loan does not get raised at all, that same interest has to get paid and the same dollar amounts paid for the entire 30 years every month. You actually get to add whatever the inflationary amount is to that 13.33%. So if we decide that it's 3% is what inflation is, you're now getting a 16.33% gain on your original investment every year to, for that 30 years, regardless of whether or not you got a dollar in cash flow. In the stock world, they say that was a massive win. But for some reason in the real estate world, we're thinking, oh, my gains only have to be cash flow. The cash flow is the cherry on top of the Sunday. If you get cash flow, you just compounded your returns to the roof. I just want to make sure that people listening to this understand where you're driving the 16.3%. It's essentially the gains in equity by amortizing that loan over the 30-year period, which we all know is small in the beginning in the first few years, and it grows uh, faster as time goes on because you're paying less interest and more principal. But if you take those 30 years and you divide that total gain of the amortization by 30 years, it averages out to the 16.3% per year. So when you look at it that way, it's almost, you can almost call it a return on equity, but you divide that into your down payment and that's where you're getting that 16.3% gain. It's, and a lot of people don't think about that. They just look at it as, oh, I'm gaining equity. It's just amortizing the loan. Well, yeah, it is. It's true. It's amortizing the loan. You're gaining equity. Your tenant is paying it off. But when you put it into percentage term, it's like, oh, wait, I am getting a rate of return here at 16.3%. So that was a great way to point that out, Aaron. Thank you. And just as a reminder, it's 13.33% on the amortization of the loan plus whatever inflation is doing. And we're just guessing inflation at around 3% since you get to pace inflation with your rents, but you don't, uh, but yet the payment does not increase on the loan. It's going to be the same for 30 years. So that right there, inflation itself is helping you tremendously. You know, that's not even getting into the tax benefits, yep. the potential cash flows, the appreciation of the property. There's other factors here that we need to throw in there. But I just always want to encourage those coming into this, whether they're seasoned or whether they're new to it. There's so many more things associated with investing in real estate than cash flow. Cash flow is the cherry, again, cherry on top of the Sunday. If you're getting that, you need to be ridiculously happy about it. But there's huge value in all the other pieces of it. That's an interesting perspective because a lot of people are hyper-focused on cash flow. And when it's too low, and I say low in quotes because that's subjective, it's different for different people, they lose sight of the bigger picture in terms of what are all the other ways we benefit and gain from owning real estate. So yes, we want positive cash flow, but we shouldn't be so short-sighted that we're looking at a good deal and letting it go because it's not paying enough this year. In three years from now, chances are you're going to increase the rent and your cash flow will increase. And by that time, you're going to have more equity in the property and you're having the tax benefits and you're probably adding more properties to your portfolio, which averages out your overall income. So yeah, you can't be too short-sighted. I think that's really one of the takeaways here 
in what you're saying, Aaron. For me, I guess the way I would encourage people for 2019 is this. Don't lose momentum. Continue to build your portfolio. Focus on good markets. Those markets do change a little bit from year to year because we have markets like Dallas that have become a little overpriced. It's just been appreciating so much over the last four or five years that the numbers just are not as sexy as they used to be. But we're opening up other markets. And a lot of times those are tertiary markets. But that's okay. You got to look where the markets are growing and find the right deals and then focus on good neighborhoods. So you've got that tenant pool and the sustainability of having that investment perform for you over the long term and grow in terms of price appreciation. So if you do that, you can build a portfolio and you'll do well in 2019 and 2020 and years beyond that. So I guess that's uh, my encouraging words to people and in the hopes of inspiring them is just stay the course. Just because rates have gone up a quarter point or a half point last year or more should not discourage you. We still have historically low interest rates and we should just take advantage of that. Let's stock up, get as much of it as you can. Yeah, speaking of historically low interest rates, and back to what you said, I almost said, stay the course. This is the long game. You can't look at one individual deal as the make or break for your business. It has to be the average of many of them. But ultimately, you did mention about the rates swinging around and how much we have seen move. We had seen as much as uh, five-eighths of a percent this year move around, but we've seen as much as a full 1% from 2017. And then if we go backwards, like you said, historically low rates, I think this is the point I was looking to try and make that it just escaped me. I think we talked about in the last podcast where you go back to 2006, some of the data that I'd found to get an interest rate of 5.99% through Chase at that time, according to something I found online as a memo they placed out to their secondary marketing department. To get an interest rate of 5.99% for an investment property was going to cost close to eight to nine points. That's very pricey. (laughs) It's extremely pricey. Now, there may be times in the last little bit that that same rate would have been one to one and a half points, possibly even two, depending upon the loan size and other things. Shows a big difference. 2006, when everybody was jumping into mortgage-backed securities, right? When everybody thought that was the place to go put your money. And then it crashed really in late 2007 and then 2008 when the crash was really realized. If we are lower now than we were then and the Fed is not supporting it as much as they had been, pretty encouraging to me right. that we're going to continue to see rates probably within about a point of where we're at right now. Just my own personal thought, just looking back that far and how the market is now accepting of the mortgage-backed securities comparative to where they were and we don't have as much Fed involved. Well, let's wrap it up by asking each other the question, what is driving our future? We're now in 2019 and we're moving beyond. What's driving you right now? Legacy. How am I going to take everything that I've got in here and hand it off to my children? We talked briefly before about how I had created this trust. And now that I've implemented, actually implemented a lot of things within the trust, have my children's involvement. But I had to ask one question. I had to ask my kids, what do they not know? And that came about in this last week. I remember reading a story that somebody put out about his own experience. He was boarding a plane, getting ready to go on a flight, and his chest was bugging him. His breathing was uh, labored. His wife was with him. When they landed at the first leg of their journey, they had a a layover. They went ahead and just went from the airport to the hospital. They put him through some tests, told him he was fine to continue on his journey. He flies on to the next destination and is on his way there. The pilot comes on the intercom, says his name, and asks him to identify himself which tells me he was flying Southwest. So he had to push the button to get a flight attendant to come to him. And she had let him know that when they land, he would have to exit the plane first and an ambulance was waiting for him. 
when he got there, he medics had grabbed him, put him on the ambulance, took him to the hospital. When he got there, two surgeons were waiting for him and said he was misdiagnosed at the last location and he had a pulmonary aneurysm. Big damn deal, right? The question was asked of him at that point was, if there's anything in your life that you need to be considering, now is the time. So I put myself in that thought process in the last uh, week and asked myself, what is it that I need to be considering? I do a lot of travel. There's a lot of time I'm away from my home. I'm not saying that I'm going to be faced with that same thing, but what do my children need to know? And so I sat them down this week. We had our family meeting. We have it once a month over the trust and where are our assets at? What are we doing with our life insurance? They need to look at and vote on all our investments. And I, I'm trying to put together a system in place so I can hand that off to investors so they know how to bring their children up into the same thought process and have something not just hand them money and hand them a trust, but they hand them a business that they can continue. They can continue on. If they need to put in a certain amount of money every year, it's their money to be part of it. They have to participate now, not later, now to help build it. And I had to ask that question, what do you not know? What is it I have failed to give you information-wise as far as what you need to know in life, what you need to know of me as your, as your father, and then what you need to know about the trust? And we sat down for about an hour, and I wrote out a lot of things. I had to give them a lot of data that, of what they need to handle if that ever happened. If um, I didn't come back from a trip, who are the first three people they have to call? What if they have to go online to start taking care of certain things in business? And it was actually really reassuring. So what's driving me now is to help others come to the same realization. That yes, we want to build your business. We want to build your real estate portfolio. We want to help you have a future. We want to help you feel better about what you're moving into. But we also want to help you feel more confident about what you're leaving behind. And that when you've exited this world, that you've taken care of all things you can possibly handle. And you've put those behind you in a position to succeed because you existed. How old are your kids? 21, 19, 17, and 12. And how early do you think doing what you're doing is uh, the right time to start with kids? As early as they can possibly understand what a dollar is, in my opinion. So I'm meeting with, with some folks right now. There's a system that I'm vetting out that is a way of monetizing daily chores. And in monetizing that, it creates an actual account for the children, credit cards, the whole works. And it'd be a way to integrate it into this. So I'm testing it out as we speak, figure out how that'll work so I can help other, I can bring that to investors as well. Here's a way to help teaching your children the value of a dollar, the value of work, and they can see it real time on their computer. It plugs in right there, shows them their account balance, what they have done. And then they can also, from a very early age, start participating in the growth of the family business. Yeah. Let me know what you find. I was actually, it's funny you say that. I was actually looking at apps last night that do exactly that. <laughs> there are apps out there that you could literally create a debit card for your kids and fund it based on achievements or chores and it is spendable. So, uh, yeah. And this one that I've got reports to the credit bureaus, the whole work. So we'll have to get together on that one. In fact, I'll, I'll see if we can get you connected with these guys. And this may sure. be a uh, dual type of deal we can work out to try and help our investors. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm looking into it right now. So we might as well work on it together. Yeah, heck yeah. And I close friends with the developer of it. So it, and interesting, he's just this last, the end of this last year, he's like all about how do I help the legacy of things? I'm like, that's been my drive. So we sat down over dinner and he gave me a rundown of what he's doing. It's like this perfectly integrate from what I can see. Well, I'm thinking a lot about that. My daughter's 11, 11, going on 11 and a half now. And I think about it almost daily. You know, what does she not know that she needs to know? How can I help her and teach her? And what should I be reading to her? And how do I educate her about the things that 
I'm doing and investing in just like you are because you need to not only leave that education with your children, your knowledge, but also what is the legacy I'm going to leave behind, not just with family, but for other people. And that's why creating this content and bringing people on like yourself, this content could live out there forever. And it's really just another footprint that you're leaving in history. So the more we help other people, I think the better we can feel about ourselves. <laughs> you're, you're definitely right there. We leave this world with two things, in my opinion, relationships and experience, and you can't have one without the other. And then actually, it's kind of what we leave behind as well, is relationships and experience, if you're properly teaching those around us what those experiences are. Yeah, so true. So true. It's always a lot of fun having you on, Aaron. So uh, I want to thank you for your time. Um, another good chat. So, you know, this was a good 30-minute episode. Let's get it out there and uh, share it with the world. And we'll, uh, we'll have you back on in the near future, I'm sure. Oh, I appreciate it, man. Anytime I get an opportunity, you know, I'll jump on it. All right. Very good. Thanks for your time, Aaron. Take care. So in wrapping up, I want to wish everybody a happy and prosperous new year. It's 2019. Let's make the most of it. Let's work on leaving a legacy, educating our friends, family, not preaching, of course, but just helping them in the best way we know possible. And sometimes that's directly giving them information, sharing what you know and your knowledge, but sometimes it's just referring resources to them books and workshops and master classes and podcasts like this and your referrals are greatly appreciated so let's just help our friends and family out we are bettering ourselves let's help uh, better our friends and better the world so one way to do that is uh, download the free report ultimate guide to passive real estate investing just go to passiverealestateinvesting.com if you have a question, go ahead and submit that on the same website. Just click on Ask Marco and I'll do an Ask Marco episode. I'll try and do one once a month. Um, and if you haven't subscribed, we're on virtually every platform. So just hit subscribe on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or SoundCloud or whatever it may be and help us spread the word. Just leave us a rating and review and those are always greatly, greatly appreciated. So thank you for that. And thanks for listening and we will see you again on the next episode. Take care. Are you looking for a roadmap to financial freedom? If so, we have a solution for you. Narada Real Estate is offering a limited number of free strategy sessions to help you get out of the rat race. Learn how you can create wealth and build monthly passive income. To set up a time with one of our knowledgeable investment counselors, simply go to naradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights in media interviews, please contact the host.